Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. McSweeney's, the idiosyncratic San Francisco publishing company, releases a literary journal, McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, with no fixed format. It's been published in a variety of artistic, unusual forums, from an oblong edition to a bundle of mail delivered to the wrong address. Its new audio issue may be the most elaborate yet. It's a box of booklets, a scroll, a keychain, a fictional toy company catalog, and other objects that, in a collaboration with Radiotopia producers, all have audio components. But it's really, as Andrew Leland writes, a way of exploring the different modes of communication and art, a way of expanding our understanding of what art could be across wildly different people's sensory and cognitive capacities. Joining us now are Andrew Leland, senior producer of The Issue. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. And uh, Claire Boyle, editor of the magazine. Yeah, hey. Welcome. Thanks for uh, tipping us off to this. So, so, so interesting. And I, I love that this quarterly, this particular quarterly, really plays with this concept of what can audio do that text can't and what can text do that audio can't and what happens if you open up both channels at the same time just kind of maybe tell us a little bit about the the idea of this particular edition yeah so um so this issue kind of came about i i will admit kind of selfish selfishly because i uh have always just loved audio Hmm. um and loved the idea of getting to play with it in some way um And, uh, so when we started thinking about it, Andrew and I sat down and we were trying to figure out like, how are we going to combine audio and text? Like, what are we going to make that relationship? How are we, what's the conceit there? Mm -hmm. Um, and we worked through a lot of different ideas and then we realized maybe we don't have to choose just one. Um, and so we put it to the contributors themselves to, uh, to find their own relationship between text and audio in their pieces. So some of the pieces, you know, flip back and forth between audio and text, some of them combine them simultaneously. Um, And we just kind of, we made the issue one big experiment in kind of finding a relationship between those two mediums. Andrew Leland, though, you have an introductory essay in which, you know, you kind of say, "We're, we're not just playing here with form. We're also trying to really think about... I don't want to actually say accessibility for reasons that will become clear, but we want to think about what people talk about as accessibility. Oh, I think you can say the word accessibility. That's absolutely what we're thinking about. Uh, although I guess I, I get your hesitation too, because I think accessibility often it might be just gets... limiting in how you were trying to think about it. Yeah. Well, and I think when people talk about accessibility, often it gets framed in terms of like a legal obligation to make 
a building or materials accessible because you're trying, you know, to abide by the law of the ADA. Whereas, you know, we thought about it more in terms of how can it be um, something that's built in from the beginning and that actually leads to a more interesting work of art or a more interesting issue of a magazine. And, you know, and it's not, it's not really shoehorned in there, but, you know, like you said in, in, in your introduction, you know, when you're thinking about the relationship between audio and print or between reading with your eyes or reading with your ears, you know, everybody can, can think about that and explore that. And, but it also gets right to a lot of these issues that come up when you're trying to make a work of art accessible, whether you're describing a painting or whether you're recording an audio book. And so, yeah, right from the beginning in, our conver in, in my conversations with Claire and with the Radiotopia producers, um, we, 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 we wanted to think of ways, not just to make the issue accessible, but also to kind of make accessibility and the kind of translation between modalities a theme and, and explore it from that perspective too. Yeah. And Andrew, I mean, you have a lot of insight into this, as I understand it. You're losing your sight, uh, losing your, yeah. your vision over time. And I, what have you noticed about, you know, the transition from sort of visual to audio or, or in this moment? Yeah, uh, it's interesting because I, I feel like it'd be a question that I'd be interested in without a degenerative retinal disease. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a question that a lot of people are interested in. You know, I, I started as a as a magazine editor working at McSweeney's on The Believer and, you know, loved loved the kind of way that McSweeney's celebrated print and really explored print and um, but also was a was really deep into radio. And, and so as I started to produce The Organist, which is a podcast for um, McSweeney's and The Believer, you know, I was really thinking about that question of like, how do you do something like The Believer, like McSweeney's in an audio form? Mm -hmm. And it raised a lot of the same questions that I'm wrestling with now as I drift into print disability, which is to say just, you know, a, a regular book that you might find at a bookstore, it doesn't really work for me anymore mm -hmm. um, without magnification. And I'm, I'm starting to prefer to read auditorially. And, and I mean, there's a lot that comes up. I mean, one thing that I've been thinking about is, is, is writing for the ear. You know, that's something that radio producers right. talk about a lot. Yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, well, this script doesn't work because you're you're using you know the wrong kind of language or it's not really written in a way that that's for the ear, it's more for the eye. And yet I think about the millions of people who listen to hours and hours and hours of audiobooks and you know, and blind people who listen to hyper speed text-to-speech software. Um, you know, and that's not none of that is written for the ear, and yet our brains sort of adapt. So a lot of I think one big takeaway I got from from the experience of working on this issue and from just the experience that, that you allude to that, you know, reading with my ears more by necessity yeah. is, is the way that your expectations, you know, our expectations about what a book is are received and they don't, they're constructed, you know, and they don't need to be that way. You know, there's no reason why a book needs to be a thing on, on, on paper that, you know, folds open and that has a certain number of words per page. You know, there's no reason why, sound can't be a book or a book doesn't, can't contain music or can't cross. It really it, raises cross, the question though, yeah. of sort of what is a book then? <laughs> if it's not, if it's not printed between covers, if it's not a, a set of words, like what, what is the essence of bookness then? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that McSweeney's I think has been really dogged about pursuing, right. you know, what is, what is a issue of a literary journal? Is it a bundle of mail that 
appears to have been sent to the wrong person that as you open the envelopes, you know, there's short stories in there. And, you know, this, this issue, I think is, is pushing that conversation forward too. It's a box filled with things that all have audio companions associated with them, but it's also this descriptive transcript that we produce that's accessible to anyone, regardless of their sensory disabilities. You know, if you're deaf blind, you know, you can point your braille display at the descriptive transcript and read and experience 100% of the issue with audio, with uh, alt text, you know, descriptions of the sounds and descriptions of the images written not by some like dutiful ADA compliance officer in a, you know, bureaucratic bunker somewhere, but written by like poets and poets. fiction writers. Well, let's, um, we're going to talk about beautiful. the issue more right when we come back. We're talking about McSweeney Quarterly's new audio issue with Andrew Leland, senior producer, and Claire Boyle, editor of the magazine. What do you think audio can do that text can't and vice versa? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about McSweeney Quarterly's new audio issue with Claire Boyle, editor of the magazine, and Andrew Leland, senior producer of the issue, who's also writing a book about blindness. And we want to hear from you. Got a couple different questions here. What do you think audio can do that text can't? And what can text do that audio can't? And if you have a disability, what's an example of a work of art that sort of transcended its uh, original form? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter uh, and on Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, Claire, we're now going to listen to some of these things. One of our producers when uh, had not didn't know what we were doing, but was just listening to the cuts and was like, this is definitely one of the weirdest bits of audio we're going to play on the air ever. Um, so prepare yourself, listeners. Uh, this is really, really fascinating audio material. And I thought, uh, Claire, you could set up Clear Voice, a software manual setup for direct mind-to-mind connections. Yes. Wow. That's like the the cleanest description of the piece that I've heard yet. Um, uh, yeah. So I think the way that I think about this is like, you know, when you get an Apple product and in the box, there's that little gray software installation booklet. Mm-hmm. Um, so this piece, Clear Voice by Kate Sopper, who's a, um, who's a Pulitzer Prize nominated uh, composer um, and a brilliant writer, uh, is like that booklet that you get in your Apple box, but instead of an iPod, it's an installation uh, into your brain. Um, so as you read through and listen through the software upload, it's progressively uploading this software into your brain that enables you to communicate mind to mind with people around the world. It's as simple <laughs> as that. Let's uh, as simple as that. Uh, let's hear uh, a cut of what this sounds like. Step one, initialization. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Simon. I'll be guiding you through the upload process. It's important that you keep reading along as you listen to the sound of my voice. Before we begin, let's try a simple exercise in virtual interaction. When you hear the tone, I'd like you to tell me your name, but don't say it out loud, just think it. Did you think it? I just love the idea of people going down 880, thinking their name really hard in their cars as they're listening to this. Um, what, what's this piece uh, trying to do? I mean, and also maybe describe what it looks like, because it's also like all the pieces in this uh, issue just has this incredible, like, tactile form. Yeah. Um, so that's thanks to our art director, Sonner Thompson, who's brilliant. Um, so the piece is like a long, thin strip booklet that opens um, long ways. Uh, and it's got a glossy, you know, mirror silver cover to it. Um, and something that I love that this piece is doing um, is that this is one of the pieces that combine audio and text simultaneously. So you're experiencing them both at the same time throughout the whole piece. Um, and for the most part, they're, they're twinned. They're totally linking up. Um, but in crucial few moments, they slip mm. and there's something different that happens in the text than what you're hearing. Um, and it's in those moments that the brain kind of hiccups and um, you learn something darker, something weirder under the surface of this. Yeah. Um, if there is, if there can be something weirder than neural uh, software <laughs> uploads, but you can, you see like there's a dark kind of underbelly to this story that emerges through these slippages. Um, and I remember when Kate, when Kate was just first starting to think through this piece and the way that she wanted to combine text and audio, she sent us these dra little drafts that were like two minute long, maybe max little, um, like experiments with this. And I remember I like immediately got chills when listening to them because they just, uh, yeah, my synapses were just exploding and I had never really experienced my, those two senses combining in quite that way. Um, and the ways that meaning kind of emerged from it was so exciting and was exactly what we were trying to do with this issue. Let's uh, go to some our, our next tape, which we have of the kids' book. Um, which one of you wants to set this one up? We, who wants to talk about the uh, the kids' book? I can I can do kids' work. Sure, yeah. So you know when when we were talking about all the different ways that that text and audio could link together, you know we 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 had this crazy list of like you know, things like the piece we just talked about where you're sort of reading simultaneously and listening simultaneously. And the telephone seemed like a huge, you know, we, you could do an entire issue with the telephone, but we wanted to definitely do some telephone experiments. And this is, I think, one of my favorite pieces in the whole issue. It's Ian Chalag, who does the podcast, Everything is Alive, um, is the producer who made it. And in the box, it's subtle. You get this, this catalog for a company called Kids Works, Kids with a Z, and it just looks like, you know, their 2021 catalog, it says order now, and there's a phone number, but it's not, you don't necessarily know what you're getting into. And then as you read through, there's these sort of very bizarre, you know, subtly terrible toys. And on like every other page, it's like having trouble with your toys, call this number. And, you know, as you go through the catalog, the phone number is progressively larger until hopefully you get the idea. 
okay, perhaps I'm supposed to call this number. And, and when you call the number, you get to a phone tree of the sort that everyone in contemporary <laughs> US life is familiar with, you know, or please listen carefully as our options have changed. And it's basically like recall information for this toy company that is just a brilliant satire of corporate America that goes in very unexpected, very hilarious places very quickly. Yes, there's Grabo, the toy that pinches your child, and there's also a Corner. Uh, we're going to listen to one of the paths you can take uh, when you call the number. Some Corner's toys are loners, and their words are meaningless threats. However, if you have observed Corner's meeting in secret with other Corner's toys that you have not purchased, press 1. How many Corners toys have you seen Corners meeting with? For one, press two. For two, press three. For four, press one. For five, press nine. For seven, press four. For eight, press six. For nine, press five. I love that uh, we thought about cutting that one back. Uh, and then we were like, no, that's the gag. That's what's yeah. really funny about it. Yeah, you're like, is it still going? It's still going. Yeah. Um, I have to say, when I got this issue in the mail, my nine-year-old called that Kids Works number seven times. On my phone, I looked at it, and I was like, what number did I call seven times? And it was just Oscar just dialing it over and over again. Because, you you know, you can't just do it once because there are all these forking paths that you have to get to every gag to do. I, yeah. Yeah. Love that one. Did you want to add something? Yeah, something that I love, a, a fun detail about this uh, piece that I love is, so for all of the pieces in the issue, we did a descriptive transcript where we asked authors to write um, descriptions of the images and the, the audio. And for this one, Andrew Sean Greer was the um, describer. And what I learned in the process is that he actually wrote, in another life, he wrote copy for a toy company and he named toys. Um, oh, wow. for a living at a certain at a certain point so it was a kind of a perfect marriage um, for this one uh i want to add caller victoria from Oakland into the conversation welcome thank you so much i am so loving this conversation thank you for doing what you're doing um i i just find that uh the integration of what you're doing reminds me of these uh, performance artist pieces that began to start to um, use all of your senses, Bill Viola, people like that. Mm. And I'm loving the integration of, of the text and the audio, and I can't seem to do one. I, I'm listening right now to a tale for the time being. And I know that I'm going to have to go back and read this book because she has done things with the audio. She read it herself. She's done things with the audio and with the text that, that are just completely complementary. So your intersection, what you're doing, is just beautiful and such a... Um, uh, I, I love basically that you've taken into consideration the history of the book, the ever-evolving history of the book, and you're taking it to a new level. Oh, thank you so hey. much, Victoria, for that call. Yeah. yeah and I think, you. you know, it, it is funny that audiobooks and podcasts and all of these things um, rose to be sort of pretty, pretty heavily experienced media forms now. And yet it does seem like we're a little light on the theorization of how that changes. Like I find when I listen to an audiobook, for example, and I'm walking, 
I can almost like rewind into that or fast forward through that by just imagining where I was on the path. And so for a lot of preparation for this show, I oftentimes do that because it's very it's very helpful. And just the, the way that your mind works differently with these different uh, stimuli. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think actually like the rewinding is something that as I've become more of an oral reader, I've, I've had to really give myself permission to rewind because I think unconsciously our eye bounces up the page constantly. And yet when we're listening, we're so loath to rewind, I think, because there's this, there's this sense that the machine is just rolling forward and we don't want to interrupt it. And yet reading, I think, is underappreciated how much reading is rereading. And so I've really just had to push myself to be like, you know what? I spaced out for a minute. I got to go back, which is something that I think we all do where you get to the bottom of the page and you're like, wait, what, what just happened? And, totally. and so you have to kind of retrain your ears. Yeah. And that was actually a really interesting um, element of putting this issue together was grappling, like hitting up against the fact that like Andrew was talking about audio is naturally a temporal medium and, and print right. is a physical medium and they don't really share the same measurements um, they don't share the same sense of time. And so like, how do you put these two mediums together when they don't necessarily have things that naturally link them? Um, yeah. And so we kind of came to use triangle bells for turn the page and then like a classic, you know, uh, read along, uh, record style. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to get to one more. Well, we're at, we have two more cuts, but one more uh, now. Uh, can you tell us about the house tour? This one kind of merges fiction with your own experience. Yeah, yeah, I love. Um, so we in the issue we have a series of audio tours of your home, um, which is which each different tour is guiding you around your own house. So different rooms in your house: your kitchen, your laundry room, your bedroom, your study, your bathroom, your wall. Um, and uh, the idea is kind of like, how do we reintroduce? Right, it's kind of beautiful defamiliarization. Totally, and also space. like you're saying, like infusing that space with maybe with fiction or with uh, surreality or, um, so this piece that uh, we're gonna listen to is Your Kitchen by uh, Katarina Smets. Um, and she, she kind of, in the process of guiding you around your kitchen, she's giving you instructions that um, it becomes clear at a certain point that she's she's bringing you to make a cup of tea. Um, and <laughs> okay, let's let's uh, yeah. let's okay. hear it. Let's hear it, just so people know <laughs> yeah. what you're. Yeah, go ahead. Let's uh, take a kettle, open the faucet, watch the water running in a stream into your kettle. My faucet is leaking at the sides. I should have it repaired. Put the kettle on. Boil. What was the last thing you cooked for someone else? Someone from outside your house? Who was it you cooked for? What did you make? I baked some cake to comfort my brother, I think. God, sorry to cut you off, Claire. I just want people to hear it. Um, tell us more about it. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, I think this one is such a beautiful piece. And she also, 
um, integrates uh, at a certain point found uh, like field recordings of her own family eating cake on Easter and her grandpa explaining um, sound effects in the theater. And it's just this really intimate, um, I think by pulling you into her intimacies and her life and the people that she misses, um, she guides you on a tour of having a similar experience yourself and kind of the, the tour ends with you sitting to, to ruin the ending. The tour ends with you sitting at your kitchen table with your cup of tea and one across from you uh, to kind of like yeah. commune with those you miss. Um, and I love the idea of like an audio piece ending uh, at the very beginning of a new experience for you. So it's kind of just like walking you to an experience that you will have alone. That's beautiful. Um, Andrew, uh, I wanted to ask you about a, kind of a provocative kind of counter argument with it included in the issue uh, against access. Um, just in a, with our last couple of minutes here, if we could just sort of what was the argument in that piece and what do you think it said about what you were trying to do as a whole? Yeah, so that's a piece by the poet and writer John Lee Clark, uh, who's deafblind. He lives in Minnesota. And his piece against access, you know, I think I think access, like we started out talking about, it's like such a accepted hallmark of disability rights. And, and so it is very counterintuitive to read a disabled writer saying that they're against access. And and I think what John's argument boils down to in some ways is the kind of, it's not, maybe, maybe patronizing isn't the right word, but the way that the sort of impulse to make something accessible is, is a mix, is ultimately a gesture that's about the non-disabled institution rather than really thinking about the disabled person. And John's perspective is, is kind of boils down to like, well, why don't you come visit us where we are and try to find out what we're up to. Um, and, and, you know, and he, he's really against this idea of the replica. For him, like a, a replica is this sort of dead translation where it's not even really, like none of the life of the original gets translated into the new medium. It's just this sort of like bland gesture to try a, a towards in inclusivity that doesn't actually give him anything. And, and I just, I find his writing really bracing and, and, and awesome in, in his sort of willingness to be honest about that experience. You know, I think there's a sort of piety that comes with a lot of disability writing about disability, whoever's writing it about the sort of like general need for everything to be accessible always. And I think he's really speaking from like a, I don't know, I feel like it's, his, it's the poet in him that's saying like, you know what, I tried some of this stuff and it's, it's not, it's, there's no nutrition in it for me. Like your dance performance that you did an okay job of describing, like as a deafblind guy, I didn't get anything out of it. And why don't you instead come and find out what the deafblind community is doing here? I think that, that's my best crack at, at, at boiling that essay down. And Claire Boyle, just last 30 seconds here, as you, when you read that essay, knowing what you were sort of working on with this issue, how do you think it inflected what you ended up doing? Yeah, well, he talks about um, the game Uno and how um, the like direct translation of the game Uno um, for deafblind players is, is like a really flat, like difficult game. And so there was this creation of a game called Shapes and Textures, um, which was like the essence of, of the Uno game, but, but remade and reformatted. And so I think we were trying really hard to keep that in mind when we were creating 
um, all the alt text was, you know, not replica, but instead recreation of recreation, something new. Yeah. yeah. We have been talking about McSweeney Quarterly's new audio issue with Claire Boyle, editor of the magazine, and Andrew Leland, senior producer of the issue, who's also writing a book about blindness. This is an extremely fun piece of media. Go check it out. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.